even if you feel like, oh, I'm going to make this money. This is mine. And I don't want to tell someone else about it because they might want ask someone else. Ask someone else. Is this does this look like it? Ask someone else that's been in the industry just one year longer than you. Welcome to On the Horizon, powered by Sexwork CEO. A podcast about what's on the horizon for sex workers and how to navigate it. Hosted by Jesse Sage and Melrose Michaels. Who misses free and affordable ads and social networks without the anti-sex work rhetoric? Assembly 4 is a team of sex workers and technologists from Melbourne, Australia, aiming to bring back free and fair advertising and social spaces to the sex work community. They also give back to organizations based in harm reduction, sex work, and education. Stepping away from the clunky design of traditional platforms, their two products, Tris.link and Switter.at, are refreshing and well-needed changes in both presentation and mission. Both are free to join and open to all. In the words of an A4 user, from the policies to the language to the advice and tips, it makes such a big difference to feel encouraged and supported instead of policed. Check out their website, assembly4.com, for the word, not the number, for more info. Welcome back to another episode. Uh, This is episode three. If you haven't seen the other ones, please go back and start at the beginning where we introduce ourselves (laughs) and what we're doing here. But this week, what we're doing is we're going to, uh, last week we talked about technology um, and how sex workers have to interact with technology. This week, we're going to focus it a little bit more on um, payment processing and financial institutions. So discrimination that Mm -hmm. sex workers um, face in terms of payment processing, banking systems, things like that. Um, we have two guests on today and they're really insightful interviews and very interesting. We have Lotus Leon, who's a industry veteran. Mm -hmm. She has been in porn for a really long time. She also works for FSC, the Free Speech Coalition, which is the trade organization for the adult industry. And we also have Maya Morena on, who is a out and outspoken, um, undocumented sex worker. So mm-hmm. we're going to talk about both like working in porn and being um, like the challenges that sex workers face or porn performers face in terms of banking. And then we're also going to look at, we're going to talk to Maya about um, how that's particularly pointed for undocumented workers. I think that's a really good point that we make in this episode is that while we talk about these broader themes of like financial discrimination, which mm-hmm. has been very on the forefront as of yeah. late mm-hmm. uh, with all the MasterCard drama and OnlyFans drama, um, <laughs> we really, what the, the conversation hasn't been around how that affects undocumented or how that yeah. Yeah. affects my, uh, marginalized groups yeah. versus like migrant workers. Yeah. Like, yeah. 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 Cause the way I, I've experienced this is completely different than someone else. Right. The way that like a U.S. citizen with a social security number and a driver's license, a driver's license and a bank, like the way that we go about like working, we already have a lot of privilege. And mm-hmm. even though we're sex workers and we're trying to interface with a system that's stacked against us, which it is, yes. um, we also have to recognize that, um, that's even more so for people who have uh, who are further marginalized. Yeah, and I mean, I, I've had personal experience with this to some extent. Like, I, I've lost a PayPal account to this because mm-hmm. I was receiving funds, and it was under adult themes, even though it was just you know exchange for videos and things like this. Yeah. My PayPal was closed, and I was actually sent a bill from PayPal for the money that I had withdrawn from that account. It said what? that I owed PayPal money, a bill in the <laughs> mail that came to my PO box. And so that was like, mm, good luck with that. Like, I'm just gonna do my thing. I didn't know they did that. I didn't know that was even possible. 
possible, but that was the thing. I remember getting that letter and I was like, how do you, how does what? that even make sense? First off, you took my money and now you want more of my money? Like, yeah. No. no. <laughs> no. Yeah. I mean, I, um, the way I haven't had any accounts shut down yet, thankfully. Um, but I have to say that, yeah. <laughs> um, but the reason, um, but, but I have had to kind of navigate this because what's been really difficult for me is that, you know, people outside of the sex industry, obviously people in our, in our vanilla or civilian lives, however you want to say it, um, also use PayPal yep. and Cash App and Venmo and like to go out to lunch and mm-hmm. share, you know, things like that. And the thing that's been really difficult is real name policies mm-hmm. and um, that, um, you know, they, they oftentimes don't check that you're using your real name. But yeah. if you try to set up an account under your real name and then use the same IP address or phone number and try to set up one under your performer name, um, I had Venmo reach out to me and say, you can't do that. You have yeah. to close one of your accounts. And I closed my performer name account because they were watching me. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. then ended up like when I thought they weren't on my case, switching it over to my performer name. But the problem with this is fairly obvious. It means that I only have one account and people in my vanilla life, including people like, I don't know, my kid's dad. And like, <laughs> yeah, real people. Yeah, real people. Um, my mom, you know, uh, people that I really don't like talking about my work like life with. Um, if they want to exchange money with me, I have to do it through my performer account. Um, yeah. Also, my kids. My kid, Two of my kids are old enough now to have them. I have to interact with them as Jesse Sage. It's bizarre. Like, I'm yeah. in this bizarre situation where, like... I have to be my performer all the time, like in, in terms of, um, banking. And I think that this is a really, really small issue in comparison to issues like what, you know, Maya's talking about. And I think I, you know, I'm, I want to like check my privilege in that, in that regard, but it's still, it still makes our life harder. Yeah. And this is the, these are the topics that majority of creators are going to have issues with. Even if you're not as marginalized, even if you do have privilege, you're probably going to get hit with this at some point or another, Mm -hmm. or even the fact that we almost have to take on the responsibility of coaching our clients on how to send us money because Mm -hmm. you'll get a client that leaves a crazy tip note, which I know you have experienced. Yeah. Uh, I tell that story in the interview with Lotus. So listen out for that. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) I didn't know who he was, so I didn't happen to coach this one. I got a random, random tip, random tip, love random money, hate random messages and tips (laughs) out. Yes. You can send me all the random tips you want. Please don't say that it's because you're coming so hard. Yeah. Thank you. taking on that responsibility of having to coach a client on like what to say in a tip note. That's insane. And it's Mm -hmm. frustrating and it has to be done. Yeah. 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 So, um, so in these two episodes, we talk a lot, we talk to them about, um, kind of overarching themes. Um, next week we're going to, or next episode, I should say, we're going to be talking to, um, three performers who are going to kind of drill down on, um, specifics of their banks, um, their experiences and a little bit about like cryptocurrency and whether that can be a solution. solution. So, so, um, this is kind of a two part, um, um, thing. This time we're talking about the overarching picture. Next time we're going to be talking about specifics. So I hope you join us next time as well. Yeah, let's, let's jump into it. Yeah, sounds good. Our first guest, Lotus Lane, has been a dominatrix, cam model, and adult performer since 2012. She is now the Free Speech Coalition's industry relations advocate, a producer and activist working with the ACLU to decriminalize sex work, and has also been working to influence change around the way sex workers are portrayed in the mainstream media, 
while shifting the perspective of how explicit sex stories are told. All right. Welcome Lotus Lane to the Horizon Podcast. We're super excited to have you with us today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. <laughs> awesome. Well, for, so for people that are tuning in that maybe are less familiar with you than we are in like all of your work, um, okay. could you introduce yourself? Sure. I'm Lotus Lane and I'm an adult performer and a producer. And most of all that I'm most proud of is I'm an industry activist and advocate on behalf of educating and providing more information to sex workers about how we can thrive. Yeah, that's great. And you've done a good job with that. I love all of your work with Free Speech Coalition and I follow that very closely. It's pretty (laughs) impressive. So for anyone listening that's not familiar, please go check that out. (laughs) Please. (laughs) Yeah, so we wanted to have you on today to talk about issues of payment processing in the adult industry because that's a big uh, uh, issue right now, especially after Pornhub, with everything that happened with Pornhub and then with OnlyFans. So first, like before we get into that, um, what kind of experiences have you had as an adult performer and somebody that works in this industry with payment processing? I mean, from very early on, um, I received payment from Square App and it was, Mm -hmm. I think the, the person had tried to, you know, charge back or something. And then I was harassed by Squarespace that I like did some illegal activity. And I was like, no, I accepted a payment for, you know, <laughs> yeah. I think it was a custom video. So, you know, I, that was my first bang, very first experience with the kind of discrimination we experienced with payment processors, because I showed them screenshots of the discussion, you know, that we were planning to do this custom and, and then it was just completely void. And, So I I was kind of shocked because I didn't realize that this was so common. And then I heard people got their PayPal accounts and other kinds of accounts, like similarly shut down for similar reasons. And that's things, things of this nature in my early experience in adult industry got me, I guess, led to me being more active in wanting to Mm -hmm. help us fight this somehow. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) When was that? When did that happen for you? And when did you enter the industry? I I entered the industry around 2012. So that happened around 2014, I think. Okay. A lot of people don't notice that like uh, the square cash and like the little cash sliders that a lot of small businesses use is also cash app. Like it's the same overarching oh, company. Oh, are they? So like a lot it of, is? yeah. I a, didn't know that. If you look into their, like not the terms, but on the bottom of the app and stuff, it's by square cash. So a lot of sex workers don't initially know that like cash app is going to fall under the same, you know, oh. predatory like yeah. service practices or whatever. So right. And I yeah. know for, for reasons, um, many people don't accept cash app because, you know, it's, it's one of the least secure, I feel like. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. They have the highest rate of fraud. Even banks don't like to work with Cash App. My yeah, bank denies a lot of Cash App. Really? Yeah. yeah. Well, it's kind of unfortunate too, because once the Square thing happened, I was kind of forced in a way to take a Cash App on just to mm-hmm. have that available for other yeah. um, customers and, yeah. and fans that wanted to make payments in certain ways. Also because PayPal is... You know, people, if they just leave one comment in the um, comment section, that can trigger something that can have your whole account shut down. So yeah. I've had to just be very cautious and almost paranoid in protecting my um, income flow. So that way I don't mm-hmm. have another account shut down. That was like the most shocking thing ever. <laughs> before that, you know, as, as a person, I consider myself like law abiding, you know, pay taxes and all that. So I just didn't expect to be hit with something like that. Absolutely. You have experience with this. We just recently. Oh my gosh, yesterday somebody sent like out of the blue sent me a Venmo um 
let me tell everybody for the um, for the listeners uh, of what not to do. I get a Venmo payment out of nowhere, and the message on it is wait for this. Abused myself to your mini vids page and had a 90 second orgasm that was amazing. I'm multi orgasmic, but it was still unusually intense. No! Follow you on Twitter <laughs> as myself and on an anonymous thirst account. And I appreciate you. Have a lovely weekend. Stop. Was this on Venmo where everyone yes. can see like? Yeah, well, I mean, I'm sent to private, but like Venmo can see that. Yeah. Oh my God, that's so <laughs> detailed. That you can like make a fantasy custom video just off the the thank you. Absolutely. I looked at it and I was like, we were sitting next to each other, and I was like, what just happened? <laughs> we just wrapped another interview. She's like, look at this. I was like, oh my god. <laughs> that's like one of the funniest things I've ever heard. That's awesome. <laughs> Like, he told me how long his orgasm was, and then explained that he was multi-orgasmic, and mentioned mini-vids and my Twitter. Yes. Ah! So this is a perfect what not to do. That's an example of, like, everything you don't want to say ever. But those are the things that I'm, like, so paranoid and cautious about, so... It sucks that you have to be that way just in order to think of how you can make your next couple hundred dollars or something, which is our income. Yeah. How we make money. It's how we live and survive. Right. Yeah. yeah. So what do you do now? So you said that like you're, you're more cautious about your income streams now. Like what kind yeah. of um, ways do you navigate this now? Um, well, you know, right up until the big OnlyFans announcement, that was kind of, um, I guess my way of vetting people, they, they, you know, bought the subscription. So if they wanted to tip, I would urge them to tip through there because, you know, it's, it's a safe place where their money is secure. They know they're not being scammed by someone sending them a random, um, PayPal link or cash app link. And then I know it's coming straight to me and I know who it's coming from. So I can thank them directly. And it just was, was working out best in that way. I can send them their little personalized thank yous. Um, now I feel like, if anything, I am catering more attention to like, ah, I hate even saying this out loud. My fans that I know are my fans, but they're in my DMs still. Like, yeah, you know, like yeah. at least yeah. I can say, oh, babe, if you tip me this way or Amazon gift card tip or some yeah. other way, then I can still, you know, give you attention yeah. or the things that you want, the customs and stuff. It's just right. instead of where I felt like it was centralized at, at OnlyFans where there's the message center and the tip center all in one and yeah. the provide mm-hmm. the video and picture center all in one. Now I have to like, like I said, like pay attention more to my DMS or my emails and like respond yeah. with the way that I would try and do it in OnlyFans, except I can't say tip right here in my email. I'm like, Oh, try some other way of tipping. It's kind of, it feels like going backwards. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like it decentralizes the way you have to run your business. Yeah. Now you have to be multi-platform or multi everywhere on social platforms to facilitate yeah. things. It slows you down. Like that's, yeah. that's time. And our time is our money. Right. I even do that. I have like spreadsheets for myself where I'm like every single day of the month, I have like a column for Venmo, mm-hmm. a column for Cash App, a column for Minibids, a column for like yeah. OnlyFans. Cause I tried, like I tried to meet my goals, you know, but then I'm like, at the end of the day, I have to like sit there and like 
plug in to all of these things because it would be so much easier if it was in one place yeah. where I didn't have to be like, let's see, I made $12 over here and $75 over yeah. here. And right. That's what I mean. It's like such like, like, like you're literally picking in from little pockets of each different yeah. basket of websites. And I'm like, it does add up to an amount after a while, but it's like, for instance, like yeah. I kind of forgot about my um, sex Panther for a while. And I was like, no, I need to go back to that. And like, it's like, it's yeah. just little things that like, it feels like I'm juggling each yeah. little thing, like going in a row and yeah. like, one starts to slip and I'm like, no, 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 no. Keep that one up. Keep this one up. Like, just, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. that's mm-hmm. super true. Yeah. I think that uh, it, it's almost too, it's a disservice to, cause like what we do in terms of, especially online sex work, it's not illegal, even though it's yeah, very criminal. It's not, right. It's not illegal, but you're making it so much hard for me as a business owner to do my taxes right and like track everything. Exactly. That's really what it comes down to is I have a hard time keeping track of all of the different income flows for tax time and then like claims and what, oh my gosh, it's just kind of, yeah, yeah. It's overwhelming. Yeah. <laughs> it is overwhelming. It's and a tall order. People that come um, into this industry because they have um, an adverse reaction to the way traditional job and workplaces are, it kind of forces you back into that mode of having to be yeah. extremely structured and extremely time organized and efficient. Not that those are bad things anyways, but if you have ADHD, which many people do, if you have focus. Mm-hmm. Um, or learning disabilities. These are all just barriers to just survival, basically. What it yeah. Comes down to. yeah. I'm curious, did um, like, I guess start with what happened with Pornhub specifically. Did that impact your business personally? Oh, yeah. I mean, I had just that year started to get the hang and the groove of the Pornhub model hub thing. So I had just started getting um, monthly checks and stuff. So I was like, mm-hmm. okay, I can see the benefit of this. This is awesome. And then literally like within three, four months of me, like getting the hang of it. Um, I think that happened in the fall and I had just started like really getting into it in the summer. So I was like, Oh, well, what the heck that sucks. Yeah. And then it, was, it was bleak because I had just started kind of befriending other Pornhub models to kind of like know how to do things on there. And some of them, that was their main cash flow and they had to completely change everything. And some of them, they, you know, for their own reasons, couldn't even communicate with me. Cause they're like, I'm sorry, I have to like focus and you know, yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. how I felt about OnlyFans because when I finally made the like made OnlyFans a priority, it was like maybe on there four or five months. And then it was like, nope. <laughs> like, oh no, you thought this was gonna be awesome? Bye. Psych. <laughs> yeah. I uh with OnlyFans in, I mean it impacted my business. Even just the announcement and the suspension impacted yeah. my business. Like mm-hmm. like that tweet that they put out, I lost forty five hundred dollars from that tweet. I, I, I lost like half of my fans and so yeah. Yeah. I just had it on a permanent half off sale to hopefully make some back because what I'm thinking now, if they're gonna like keep the platform, I'll just keep it as a soft core platform. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. And I'll do the other platforms for the more hardcore actual, um, you know, penetration material and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Because as bad as all of this is, it has name recognition, brand recognition. Yes. And that's trusted. Yes. That's the unfortunate thing of all of this is it has brand recognition to the point where Jeff Bezos or not Jeff Bezos, the other fucking guy what is his name. 
Elon the Musk. other spaceship guy, Elon. Oh. Yeah, was like, you know, on that level was like making a, a tweet joke about OnlyFans. Like it's that known that it's not something to just walk away from, unfortunately. Yeah, right. <laughs> Especially for what we do, all of these other social media platforms ban us and bar us from existing on there. So it's like the one mega social media platform on the level of Facebook, Instagram, everything else. And it semi allows us to be there. We should fucking be there. Yeah, that's a great point. And I think that's what people miss with OnlyFans, even like mainstream, regular non-sexer people, is that it's it's this new idea almost of like a social media porn engagement, which is very nuanced compared to what we're used to. Um, And I think that's why it's done so well. But like with them even launching OnlyFans TV, it's almost launched as like a competitor to like a YouTube or something. Um, And I I have creator friends that like like do mainstream, you know, podcasts, whatever threw it up on OnlyFans TV and then got like thousands of subscribers to their paywalls because of that. Even though you can't link them, even though it's separate, yeah. it just worked out because of the, the, the hold they have in the market essentially. Yeah. 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 So even when this happened, a lot of people were like, Oh, we need to unite and leave OnlyFans." and like, look for me, from a business perspective, like I understand the social impact and the activism a piece of that but like for your business like please right. don't just jump ship right away like you're gonna be you're gonna yeah. it's gonna hurt you know yeah. right and that's one of the things that i've struggled with too like being an activist and socially driven kind mm-hmm. of person um you know unfortunately that's what made me get onto the Pornhub bandwagon late because i had yeah. all of these you know things going on in my head these kind of like tur- like back and forth issues and then I was kind of like finally like yeah you know Pornhub is the main big porn platform why wouldn't I be on there and then that went by the wayside and it, the thing with um OnlyFans all these other platforms are not at top of mind for people when they say sex work yeah. OnlyFans is so even yeah. if what you have on there is um softcore Hopefully that will entice the ones that really get wrapped up in you to find your yeah. softcore pages else or hardcore pages elsewhere. That's what I mean. yeah. yeah. Kind of like the, that, the TV thing. Yes. Uh, yeah. That's an interesting piece because I find myself in that place a lot where I'm like torn between my values and beliefs right. and what I want for our community and the business aspect. Right. Because like those often aren't the same move. They're yeah. Not yeah. I, I still haven't gone onto Pornhub. And for the same reason that you were saying, is it's like, I don't know if I want to like participate in this company that like built everything based on stealing yeah. content. And but but then I'm like, but but who's losing out on this yeah <laughs> right the part of me is like, i'm the one that's losing not yeah. them they don't give a shit about me like so i'm a small i'm a really small time person like it doesn't matter to them yeah. but i'm the one that's losing and so you do have to like i think that's what's really hard about navigating all of these platforms is that we have like a lot of reasons to not trust them but yeah. also we need to pay our own bills. And so I, I think it's really so hard. We need to like have one foot in the door at least to that way, let some flow cash flow come in from this way. If it's going to come like at yeah. least your door open to it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So what do you, um, what do you think is going to happen? Like, I, I mean, I don't, I know you're not like a fortune teller, but like, yeah. what, what do you think? Um, where do you think we are right now? Because I do feel like even in the 
period of time, I kind of started around 2015. Since I've been here, I feel like there's been tons and tons of like shifts from like, okay, we're going to leave that one and we're going to go to this one. We're going to leave that one and go to this one. And that just seems like it's kind of ramping up. Like, what do you think is going to happen with the payment processing with Visa MasterCard? Like, what do you see happening? Honestly, um, the financial sector, as far as like really influencing banking and all of that payment processor stuff seems like the most daunting task ever. It actually seems more daunting than trying to convince politicians because I feel like politicians are actually easily more easily convinced because you just need to tell them something that they actually have not heard about, which is our lifestyle and the way we make money. And they've really never heard how we make money legally. And I've, I've found out that they're actually more open than we think. Um, CEOs and business people that make their money just making these kinds of hard decisions, they don't have anyone that they have to listen to as far as like, constituents. Yeah, they have shareholders mm-hmm. and stakeholders, but do you think those people give a fuck about little sex workers and our plights? So I actually feel like no. those are the, the hardest people to convince. And I feel like if we focus our attention and energy and donations on that project of trying to convince the MasterCard CEOs, Visa CEOs, those people that are in those compliance positions of payment processing, I think that would serve us well because I think um, as it is, since since I've been alive, I, I, I mean, since I've been alive and aware of this, like since the 90s, this is something that continues to happen to our industry. And yeah. um, I feel like the only way we really beat it is when we go to like the origin of the cause like in the 90s when it was obscenity charges it was from politicians and stuff and lawmakers and right now lawmakers are being influenced by things like nick christoph's article which was influenced by exodus cry and all of that so it's like we have to kind of cut these hydras off at the head because they keep popping up and we need to find what the real source is. So, like, this is more on, like, the, the macro level and, like, the micro level. Like, how do you think that, like, what sort of advice would you give to, like, individual performers, especially who are just coming in, about, like, how to navigate all of this? And I would, I would say for new performers coming in, because I kind of remember the temptation of all these random different offers coming at me from all over the place. And you want to, you want to capitalize on them all. You want to make all that money. Um, be more discriminating with the things that you Mm -hmm. take on, be more cautious and definitely vet people a lot more for who you're going to take payments from, especially if it's on a platform like Square or PayPal or all of these ones that are a little, you know, insecure for people like us. Um, I would definitely only kind of take those kind of customs on with a customer that you feel safe with. Like, you know, they like you and you know that Mm -hmm. it's not just some one email guy that might possibly scam you. Those are the things you need to look out for is the, the people that don't take the time to write a detailed email. Um, Like, lack of capitals. It's just certain things where it's like, if they can't even take the time to do this, do they actually really respect what they're about to get from me? Are they going to charge back? Are they going to block me and then not pay me? Um, You need to think of these things because what we're doing now is more um, Mm one-on-one and the middlemen that we have to work with now aren't on our side. 
Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. I think that's a good way to say it. <laughs> yeah. Really the way a new model should think of it. I mean, all these new offers yeah. they sound fun and cool, but a lot of them are scammers. A lot of them are people that just want to take advantage of you, especially because you're new and they know you're yeah. new and they know you don't yeah. know the ins and outs of things. So even if you feel like, oh, I'm going to make this money, this is mine. And I don't want to tell someone else about it because they might want ask someone else, ask someone else. Is this, does this look yeah. like yeah. Ask someone else that's been in the industry just one year longer than you. And then we'll have like (laughs) a wealth of knowledge more from where they came from that could just. Yeah, Yeah, because there's definitely patterns that you learn. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. You get used to the patterns of who's really going to be a whale or who's really going to be a time waster. You already know kind of how to cultivate the whales or how to just be like disregard to a time waster. Uh, I think we should also have, be having conversations and, and we will on a different episode about like tech and how like tech is also working against us. So like one of the, you, you know, we're talking about how we're doing individual, much more individual sales between us and our like customers and the middlemen are against us. The middlemen are also like tech companies. Yeah, you know? only fans. <laughs> yeah, and I think that like talking about like how um, programmers put together programs that don't have our interest in mind. Like, yeah. You know, whoever, whoever programmed that is not thinking from the perspective of a sex worker or even a woman. Or even a woman. Yeah. Just protect yourself. Seriously. The, like, yeah. uh, the, the amount of just like free disregard that like cis men are able to travel with and walk around with in life is alarming because I, I know just even talking to men, sometimes I'll bring up like my cautionary things that I do to protect myself oh, I didn't know that. because I cannot defend myself. If someone bigger than me tries to attack me. Like, yeah. yeah. Right. I was just having that conversation with my husband. Cause I, um, I visited my Chicago fam- friends and family, what have you. And I rented a, a nice place so I could film here or there and um when I was there I was yeah <laughs> everyone just disregard that part but I was uh there and I was in bed and I was like edit like face tuning all my photos because I do that on my phone at night in the dark and um then the hallway light went on and I heard footsteps and I was alone in this big house and I was fucking terrified and I'm texting my husband I get him on FaceTime and he's like you know he's telling me like take apart my tripod as a weapon because I have nothing with me because I can't travel across with my gun state line <laughs> and he's like um call the police and like uh, two police officers come here to downtown Chicago where I'm at they're likely going to be men and then I would have to because it's a call from me let them in the house I'm like I'm not going to be in the house alone with two men like you're missing the point of a woman's perspective on this yeah I used to teach at a a university and my college students would talk about this too because one time my students were talking about how it's so expensive to like park downtown Mm -hmm. like um in the city that we're living in and the like to go to work and the guys in the class were like yeah but the like the train doesn't know you don't have to park there and Mm -hmm. the waitresses in the class were like I'm not leaving my waitress job at one in the morning with $100 of cash in my pocket and getting on public transport. You guys are fucking crazy. Yeah. And it was, that hadn't occurred to them before. No. Yeah, exactly. Just yeah. the simple thought of that. Like, how am I going to get home from work safely? And I'm just like, just take, no, we cannot take public transport. Yeah. yeah. It's the, a lot of lenses and perspective are left out of not even just technology, but the way we view everything. It's right. Insane. Right. Well, I mean, I think that when we, I I think the fact that like most cis men don't think through like just getting home from work also means that when they're designing all of this technology, like there's major blind spots that like, 
I mean, we can tell that there's major blind spots in every car we get into. The fact that there's not a fucking purse box. I just want a purse (laughs) box, a little drawer to put my purse right here. So when I'm driving, I don't have to reach in the back or put it over here or over there. Yeah. Yeah. Purse box. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I know I think about that all the time. Every time I'm in the car, I'm like, where do I put this? I need a box. I know. You I always do put it behind me and then yeah. but then like I also have a kid who like will grab my stuff and it, mm-hmm. it's it's a lot. Yeah. We are um, all dealing with that dilemma. <laughs> um yeah, I mean I think that this is good. Is there anything else that we didn't ask you about that you think is important to touch on? Um I just think if anything, every and any sex worker, whether they're new or seasoned veteran needs to just be adaptable. That's how we are going to survive. You need to be able to be adaptable, being rigid or stuck in your ways or thinking um, this is the routine that works for me is not going to work anymore because it just seems Mm -hmm. like more and more these days we need to be on our toes like yeah. on our toenails. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Be ready to spin and pivot and learn the next thing. And um, that's how we're going to keep being here. Cause we always going to be here. So. That's right. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> well, it's very nice to talk to you. Where can people find you in your work? I'm going to be across all the platforms at it's Lotus lane. So you're going to type the it's I T S L O T U S L A I N. Okay, perfect. Thank you so much for talking to us. Thank you. It was so wonderful spending my Sunday morning with you ladies. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast so far. If you'd like to see raw, uncensored, and uncut footage of Melrose and myself from this episode, be sure to subscribe to On the Horizon for $9.99 a month via the Anchor app. Our second guest, Maya Morena is a publicly out undocumented immigrant from Honduras. She is a sex worker, a DACA recipient, and a writer from New York. All right, welcome to the show, Maya. We're so excited to have you. Um, We wanted to give you an opportunity to introduce yourself for maybe people who are less familiar with you than we are. So could you give a brief introduction? Sure. Um, My name is Maya Morena. I'm undocumented and I'm a sex worker. I did pretty much every single part of the sex industry and found what works best for me, which is like OnlyFans and sewing my own independent clips. Mm -hmm. Um, I am involved in a lot of sex worker activist spaces. So I know a lot of the change makers um, and I follow a lot of people in international news. Yeah, yeah. So what what kind of work have you been doing within like sex work activism? So I originally started when I worked for Third Wave Fund, Mm -hmm. which is a um, feminist organization that um, deals with um, reproductive health and anti-violence strategies. But they had a program called the um, Sex Worker Giving Circle. So they picked a sex worker activists and people that whose expertise they respected to fund sex worker led organizations. Mm-hmm. So we fundraised and we um, gave money to various sex worker led nonprofits. 
That's amazing. Yeah. That's really yeah. Cool. Yeah. So we had you on because we wanted to talk. We're doing an episode on payment processing mm-hmm. and issues that adult performers and sex workers have in payment processing. But we wanted to talk to you specifically about like how that works for sex workers who are undocumented. Yeah, um, it's definitely impacted me in a lot of ways. For me, um, OnlyFans helped me gain independence um, from the mainstream porn agencies and Mm -hmm. studios and also um, not having to do full service sex work as much and eventually not at all, Mm -hmm. which was very helpful during COVID. Yeah. So a lot of undocumented immigrants have to rely on the underground economy a lot more because they're often excluded from legal ways of doing sex work. Mm-hmm. Um, others are able to have some kind of legal right to work temporarily. Um, so they're able to do that, but also you could lose status of being able to work legally. Um, so you kind of fall into these periods. So the way that this impacts us is really significant because of the requirement for IDs and uh, legality that some of them can't fit into. Mm-hmm. So you're forced to choose between really often exploitative jobs like doing maid work under the table mm-hmm. or sex work, which often pays more for less hours. Right. Do you, so, because a lot of the people we've talked to about payment processing, it's, it's obviously through a very different lens because they, we have the privilege of having an ID to use and having yeah. all these resources. What are like some very tangible examples of something an undocumented sex worker can't do as even in terms of online sex work that maybe the average sex worker is not even thinking about because they're, they're not faced with it? Yeah, it's, um, it's really important for us to be able to keep our work authorization. So I have to pay money every two years for it. Um, and I have to prepare paperwork. So I have to make sure that everything is processed on time. Um, another issue is that banks already discriminate against undocumented immigrants anyway. Um, so, and this is, okay, so this is something that banks do that people are unaware of. Banks have like weird anti-trafficking policy that excludes undocumented immigrants and sex workers. And they claim that it's helping, but it's not. So if you're a trafficking victim, which, you know, usually it's sex workers or undocumented immigrants who are trafficked. Um, they can't make a bank account. They can't have a bank account because they discriminate against undocumented immigrants or sex workers. So if you look up like this kind of stuff, you'll find that banks and nonprofits and the government have to make a a special exception for them, which usually requires them to prove that they were trafficked in order to make an exception for a policy that discriminates against undocumented immigrants and sex workers. None of this is like necessary. Yeah. Yeah. That's insane. Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking about the. I'm like thinking about what you said. And, you know, if you're trying to uh, mitigate trafficking, it's actually works against that to not allow people to have bank accounts, because if you're not allowed to have a bank account, you're not allowed to work in the or you're not allowed to be a part of the like formal economy, then you're more susceptible to you're vulnerable. Yeah. Yeah. And then you're not traceable at all. Yeah. Um, yeah. So another thing that banks do is um, 
So all these banks that are like doing this thing against sex workers right now, they've been moving towards this for a long time. They're moving toward making societies cashless. So if you look it up, these banks are developing certain countries to become completely cashless and making, you know, forming partnerships with businesses to turn them into like cashless restaurants. And uh, this is an anti-poverty thing. They're kicking out people who are undocumented or are homeless and poor and don't have access to regular banking and credit cards and stuff like that. So because usually it's poor people who use cash Mm -hmm. um, or people who don't have access to regular institutions. But they call this anti-trafficking policy. They're like, yeah, if we get rid of cash, we'll, we'll eliminate crime and terrorism and uh, human trafficking because that's what those evil traffickers use. They use cash. Um, this is their logic. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that the point that you bring up is really, really important, though, because it's not about protection. It's about mm -hmm. control. You know, and I think that. Um, the thing that like the anti-trafficking movements have done and and the banks is um, and a lot of these organizations is to package like to be very good at packaging their message in a way that's pal palatable to people who aren't thinking through the implications of all of this. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's also because when you say that something is anti-trafficking to advocate against what they're doing is to be like you support slavery then. Yeah, it's, it's really brilliant. But like, um, it just doesn't make sense. Like, why would banks like Chase Bank, I believe, helped fund the Holocaust? Why would banks and the government and all these people be anti-slavery? Like, they should be held accountable. And like, I, I don't know, it's just very bizarre for me that like an organization can come in and be like, we're helping the slaves, uh, we're liberating them from slavery. And people are just like, okay, we're not going to look into this or like have oversight on this at all. But it's like, if they're dealing with some of the most marginalized people on earth, there should be oversight. Like people should know what's going on in like these mm -hmm. institutions. It's just weird that people are like, oh, okay, that's good. Yeah, keep doing that. Um, and we're not going to ask any questions or ask to bring cameras inside or like, hey, can we talk to one of these slaves? Just uh, want to know if you're treating them well. Like yeah. there's, yeah. there's nothing, there's no care. Right, right. Yeah, we were talking to somebody else about this and they brought up, you know, the, the hospitality industry mm -hmm. where they're, putting tons and tons of effort into um, anti-trafficking training to like hotel employees so that they're supposed to like surveil all of the guests and look out and look out for like trafficking. But one of the points that the, our other guests that um, we had on made about that is that um, it's kind of a smokescreen because then we're not talking about the labor practices that are happening like within the hotels themselves. themselves. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, for, I forgot the name of the organization, but there was a whole venture uh, capital thing where um, they wanted to take a specific piece of land from a third world country. And they were like, well, this area has a lot of uh, prostitution and a lot of drugs and a lot of bad things. So we will send the police there, get rid of them, and then we'll build hotels there. And anyone that's left will train them to work at the hotel owned by a U.S. corporation. And that's how we'll, we'll save them, right? If they're good enough, we'll let them work at the, at, at the hotel to serve American tourists. It sounds so like it's, just, yeah. And then they, <laughs> yeah. And then they train them on like how to spot human trafficking. So it implies that they're 
the human trafficking victims are separate from the workforce. Yeah. Right. Like there's undocumented immigrants and then there's the trafficking people. Uh, there's sex work and then there's the trafficking people and there's any form of labor. And then there's the trafficking people who exist somewhere else. Like mm-hmm. yeah. um, it's very bizarre, but it's like if ICE does a work raid, they really don't care. They're not like, okay, everybody who here is a trafficking victim? Don't worry, we won't deport you. We'll treat yeah. you nicely and differently. Yeah. Um, there really isn't much of a difference in how we're treated. So when you take away working rights and banking rights, you do it to everybody. It's not just like, yeah, <laughs> we're only doing this to the bad people. Right. I find it interesting too, just because the way that the U.S. is structured, there, there's no issue with an undocumented immigrant purchasing a home but you're not going to get financing for it. You won't be able to bank, but you can own a home and you can own land uh, if you can pay cash. So like there's this, there's these loopholes where it's like, if you have enough money, we'll let you hang out here until we don't want to. So it's like, if you're going to base it and it's not all across the board, or if we don't have a, a legalized pathway to legalize citizens, that's not completely broken and destroyed. Um, then we, what other options are there? Like we're a country that structures it so that no one can succeed and then gets mad that no one's succeeding. It doesn't make sense. And that applies to so many different verticals. Yeah. Um, I'm curious and specifically to like what happened with Pornhub, how did that impact disproportionately undocumented sex workers? Um, so I would say many sex workers were on Pornhub to just advertise for other services. Mm -hmm. And um, a lot of people in the sex industry, including the porn industry, are actually undocumented or come here with a legal work visa and then become undocumented later. Mm -hmm. And so it's just like a thing that no one likes to talk about, but it's literally like there. Um, And so a lot of people start to recognize like, oh, it's usually like, sex workers with more rights that tend to speak up and that means that they're all privileged but no it's literally that some people can't talk because they don't want to be put in jeopardy like i'm one of the few out undocumented sex workers out there Mm -hmm. and so what i tend to get in my dms are undocumented sex workers or people who did sex work in the past who are like i'm really scared that this is gonna like jeopardize my whole life here um like one girl like um had an OnlyFans for like a short period of time. And now I was like, did, did that like prevent you from renewing your DACA? Like that's something that she asked oh, me. Wow. And um, I'm like, no, I, ha- I didn't have an issue with it. And she's like, okay. And so like we ke- kept talking because like, she's just so terrified. Like it's, yeah. And during the time you just kind of need money. So not most people don't stay in the industry, like f- as a, as a career, they usually like stay in for maybe a few months or years, yeah. but mm-hmm. it, it's just like, it makes everything so much harder because you can't even talk about this industry cause it's so stigmatized. Right. Um, so it just makes it harder. Like we can't even address the issues in the industry or things that would protect us more because people just want to destroy it and destroy us. And they're not really caring about what happens to us. So you say that like you get DMs from from people who are undocumented because you are one of the few like out people. What do you think some of the like having like seen that, what are some of the main concerns on like what sort of I know you can't give like legal advice, obviously, but like what do you tell people who come to you and say they don't know how to navigate like being in the sex industry and being undocumented? 
Well, I definitely tell them my own experiences and how things worked out for me. Um, I tell them to consult an immigration lawyer because um, usually they give free consultations. They're very nice. Yeah, yeah, there's also the trafficking visa. So um, there's ways to navigate that too, although it's like really hard to get. Very few are approved. What's a trafficking visa? Uh, Trafficking visa is... um, it's called the T visa, but basically it gives you the legal right to work in the U.S. If you can prove that you were trafficked for like uh-huh. four years, it gives you the right to work. That's the most that they give. Like no one questions that. Like, shouldn't they get automatic citizenship? Like, it just seems weird. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> and so I think like every single year, there's only like maybe 200 that are approved. Wow. Yeah. So there's yeah, there's not that many. There's a cap of 5000. So yeah, they never meet that cap. Um, so there's 5,000 that could be approved, so but they'll say like 200 of them. Um, cause it requires a lot of proof. It requires like yeah. usually years cause they have to persecute their trafficker. Uh, so that usually yeah. takes years and usually they have to pay out of their own pocket. Um, and so a lot of anti-trafficking orgs take credit for this and they'll talk about, well, sometimes we give them, uh, you know, we help trafficking victims get a T visa. The problem is that like, they don't actually do that. It's an immigration lawyer that has to file that case. So usually they just refer them to an immigration lawyer. So it's like, you should not be talking about this. You should be talking to an immigration lawyer. Um, Yeah, like this is kind of where the misconception comes from. Um, So I I have like I have lawyers that follow me as well, like immigration lawyers, because obviously like all the stuff they know about it. Mm -hmm, And some of them like, oh, I could help you with a case, not for trafficking, but like for other things. Yeah. Um, And there's many reasons that I don't want to get into for why that's like kind of difficult, but yeah, it's, they don't make the process easy. Like they kind of brag about how like they're saving trafficking victims and they're doing all this stuff, but they make it really hard. I just feel like their whole process and what they're actually doing, it's nothing to brag about. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of undocumented sex workers or former sex workers that follow me, they're kind of waiting to see what happens to me. Oh, <laughs> so I'm like a little experiment. Like I, that's kind of how I feel. They don't say it, but it's kind of like, you know, people care about me and, but they're terrified for me because, um, so U S immigration laws are made around policing women and making sure that sex workers don't enter the country. Yeah. Um, they don't like migrant sex workers mm-hmm. because it's about protecting the U S and women here against migrant sex workers, basically. Um, and so in their laws, um, they have morality codes in all the immigration like documents and it's like moral interpretude. Yeah. Yes. So, um, if you do sex work here, they could deport you and ban you for 10 years. It's literally a law that if they find out you do sex work, you'll be banned for 10 years. Yeah. Do you think that there's a lot of pressure then for, um, sex workers to claim that like people who are just doing sex work to claim that they're trafficking victims in order to get out of, um, I don't know, other uh, being like immediately deported or like if you're, if you are in an ice raid and you're just a sex worker, like, is that a safer thing to statement to make? Like I'm not a victim of trafficking. I'm a sex worker. Probably not. It's bad either way. I would imagine. 
Yeah. So usually when raids happen, sometimes police will, if they want to help one of the sex workers, it doesn't matter if they're undocumented or not. They'll tell them like, you can claim you're a trafficking victim. And um, instead of sending you to jail, we'll send you to a homeless shelter. Mm-hmm. You know? So they take like their cars, their property, they take their money and they leave them with nothing. And then they're like, well, you can go to this homeless shelter, this anti-trafficking organization. Um, it's better than like going with everyone else. But you're still treated the same. You're still arrested. You're still going through the system. Um, so all the way around, it's like really bad. Yeah. 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 How do you think that the, like, how, I mean, it's just like baffling to me. I don't even know how to ask the question. Like, how does this happen? Like, and how do people feel like justified in, in doing this? There's a whole history about this. So um, I think the best article I read about was from NYU, and it basically is defining coolies, which is a word that they would use against Indians and Asian people, like Asian immigrants. Yeah, They would call them coolies, which was basically calling them slaves. Like they, these people come here, they're enslaved, they work for low wages or nothing. Um, but this was like a narrative that was created during... Um, abolition, like when they were trying to abolish slavery. The problem is that abolition was kind of a racist movement. Um, White people centered themselves Mm -hmm. in a system that ultimately benefited them. And then they became white saviors. Um, Any narrative or story that a black person would have, they would make sure that it was filtered through a white lens and it would center themselves and make them look good. And so like all these weird narratives came about. And so this is where like sex trafficking and drug trafficking and liquor trafficking and all these things, that's where, when it started, it came from that kind of philosophy. Yeah. Um, This is why it's like so weird to listen to because it's, it's this kind of idea of like, they want to liberate, like liberate slaves, not because they think that enslaved people are equal to them, but just because, you know, it's a immoral institution, but they still want to make sure that black people are kept in an inferior position in society and to serve them. Mm -hmm. So like that, you can see that with like sex work abolitionists, they don't like sex workers. They think sex workers are inferior. And so it's not because they think sex work is sex workers are equal to them it's literally just that they believe the institution is bad and but they want sex workers to be kept in inferior position that's why they only give us like vocational jobs that serve them so making their clothes and cleaning after them like (laughs) the really exploitative labor force jobs yeah Um, yeah because they would never do that to their kids they're sending their kids to college um and to you know learn how to rule the world yeah Uh, so it just creates these weird complications and what i read in that article is that the way that this was counteracted, like the way that Asian people and their allies fought back was to say, well, uh, no, they're not coolies, actually. And so they, um, the Arthur said, you know, instead of doing that, why not just point out that the word coolies in and of itself is a racialized and like classist imagination mm-hmm. that centers privileged people right. and that really, like, you know, basically state what the bullshit actually is mm-hmm. yeah. and instead of being like, but I am not trafficked and I am not enslaved. Therefore you should respect me. Cause that implies that you um, should be able to treat trafficking people this yeah. way. 
So this is how they justified um, the Page Act and the Chinese Exclusion Act. So the Page Act banned Asian women mm-hmm. um, and Asian women would be policed on whether or not they came to work moral, um, respectable professions and whether or not they could they were a wife of a man. Right. And many of them couldn't prove it because the U.S. just kind of thought that all Asian women are whores or they were predisposed to be that. And so they were just all banned. Um, And then after that, they passed the Chinese Exclusion Act. They still do this do this to this day. So like when they eliminate certain work visas, they'll say like, oh, we eliminated the Philippines having the right to work in archaeculture here because we're so concerned about human trafficking. It's like that doesn't make any sense. You don't eliminate trafficking by eliminating working rights yeah yeah that's insane what do you so based with the current landscape given it's you know an impossible one what things would you advise i guess uh you know undocumented sex workers or undocumented independent creators um how to go about this like what steps should they be taking or things should they just be aware of for their safety and maybe they're not considering Um, I think they should definitely consult an immigration lawyer and know the risks that they're taking. Um, It's hard to like give advice because it's um, I don't even know what to do. Sometimes I kind of use the infamy, I guess, as like some kind of protection. Mm. But yes, other people just kind of try to stay as in the dark as possible and hope that that protects them. Yeah, Um, I would say join sex worker collectives if they feel like. Uh, that might help. And I, I don't, it's hard to give advice. I don't yeah. know, sadly. Yeah. It's been, I, it's interesting that you say using that infamy because that that's true, because at least if something happened to you, or if you had an experience, you could share it publicly and be heard versus the people that do stay in the dark for their safety, they can go quietly and no one would notice. And that's mm-hmm. so scary. So it's like yeah. damned if you do, damned if you don't. Yeah. Yeah. Was it a hard, it must, it must have been a hard decision for you to like come out about your status and to be public about it. Uh, yeah, I was originally more, when I was on the internet, I mostly talked about immigration and I wasn't in the sex industry originally. Yeah. So um, I wanted to make like a political statement because I guess I'm just reckless like that. But um, <laughs> um, then I entered the sex industry and, um, you know, I told people and they're like, yeah, we have a lot of those here. Yeah, <laughs> we have a lot of Canadian undocumented immigrants, Russians and yeah. whatever. Um, so I was like, oh, I guess I'm not special. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> You're still special. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, where can people find you or your work? Uh, they can find me on TikTok, Maya underscore Marina or Twitter. I think it's the Maya Marina um, and I'm also on Instagram as like real Maya Marina. Okay. Perfect. Great. Thank you so much for talking to us today. Yeah, this is really great. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. So this episode, it's heavy, right? It's, it is heavy. It's a tough topic to get into because it affects us. It's such a strong point in our careers and it mm-hmm. seems like there's nothing we can do about it. Yeah. Um, and I mean, it's, it's important to, um, to say it sounds so obvious, but like 
these are our jobs. Yeah, this is our work. <laughs> this is how we make money. So the fact that it's so hard to access that money is a really big problem. It is. I, what I have or how we describe it is like it's a choke point in the industry. Like it's something that we don't have a lot of control over or a lot mm-hmm. of say in. And there's not a lot. It feels like we can do about it. Yeah. But th- there's things that we can do, right? You can do due, gi- due diligence on your banking relationships. You can figure out what your banking is going to allow or not allow. Yeah. Um, or the apps in money transfer techniques that you're using. That's really important making sure you understand terms of service and you're reading the terms yeah. of service of these things and that you're not going to be blindsided should something happen even if you choose to use it anyway yeah these are all things that we're facing yeah i mean i think that that's like that's a good point because we actually have to interact with these yeah. institutions whether like, we like it or not yeah. yeah yeah it's not like we can say okay well i'll just you know do everything under the table like yeah. even in some of the work that we do under the table you still many people still need to collect deposits and do like other sorts of things. So it's really difficult to get out, to get away from banking. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that um, I, I really, really appreciate, and I want to, I want to, I'm saying this very sincerely. I very much appreciate Maya being willing to talk about her experiences um, and to talk about um, the kind of challenges that come with being undocumented. I think that um, we have to, one of the things that I got out of this is out of that interview in particular is recognizing the very, very long history of anti-sex work that's like written into our immigration policies that I think is, um, uh, you know, this, this points to like how intersectional um, sex work is um, because racism and anti-immigration and um, anti-women anti yeah misogyny is yeah. all like woven into our sex work laws and not recognizing that and not seeing like um, how this has played out and how it's like impacted marginalized communities um, I think is really port- important and to think about the fact that like so much of our anti-sex work um, laws are there to like protect white women in the United States. I think, um, you know, I think as white women, we need to be like, we also need to be like aware of that and recognize like how, even though we feel um, persecuted by these laws, like they were actually meant to protect. Yeah. Protect us. Protect us. And that is um, something that we have to like wrestle with. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Wrestle is a good way to to term it. I, I, I get frustrated because I, a lot of the people I love and experience in my own personal circle in where I grew up in the world and all of these Mm -hmm. things have, have dealt with the issue of immigration. That's that strikes a very big chord with me. I've spoken on it publicly before. Mm -hmm. Um, so although I, I, even myself as a white woman with privilege and all of these things, I feel like I have an understanding and then even going into an interview with someone like mine, I'm like, Oh, I still know like jack shit. Like I've never considered how that plays into adult really. So that was Mm -hmm. super eye opening for me. And also just being aware that like, it's interesting to think that how much focus we put on policy and like getting in touch with our legislators and people writing what's going to become policy or things Mm -hmm. we have to fight as policy. Um, Instead of focusing on maybe the corporations that are running these banks and making these, these decisions. Um, And that wasn't something that I really spent a lot of time thinking about before. I know. I know. I, I kind of came away from that too. Like we have all this focus on like politicians and not a lot on corporations. And I mean, one of the things that's been coming out of a lot of our interviews, some of which are, are to come is that like, 
lawmakers only go so far, but a lot of the things that are used to stigmatize us are enacted through corporations. Yeah, or and, privately held companies. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. that, um, for some reason... Um, it slips our mind. Yeah, for some reason, like, that didn't stick until this weekend yeah, for me. Yeah, <laughs> it really, yeah, it was really uh, enlightening, that part. Yeah. Um, and I don't know, like, really the business takeaway from this, for me, is just understanding the way we have to interact with financial institutions and understanding yeah. that when it comes to banking and financial policy, like, that can change at the drop of a hat. We have new mm-hmm. policy from MasterCard coming out in October, right? October 17th, 15th, something like so, that? I think so, yeah. Um, and I, so this happens all the time, and being aware that these changes are coming down the pipeline, being aware that you you should prepare to pivot if mm-hmm. that's something that's going to affect your business model or whatever yeah. you do, if you're online, if you're offline, full service, whatever. Yeah. Um, knowing that, knowing when change is coming and preparing right. for change, mm-hmm. I think that's fundamental to your business. And that's kind of the biggest takeaway here. And even yeah. if, you know, if you're going through something else where you're marginalized and maybe that policy change doesn't affect you because you can't have a bank account and you're cashing out through currency changes or something yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. I think it's still important to be aware of what's happening. Should you finally become naturalized or if you deal with this uh, as a byproduct, like we've also, I know sex mm-hmm. workers who like, they would have, you know, cash apps, PayPal's, whatever, Venmo's, yeah. and then their husband or their mothers right. or their mm-hmm. brothers or their cousins get shut down because they send them money, yeah. even though they're not doing anything <laughs> illegal, you know, right. they're reimbursing right. for pizza or whatever yeah. it is. So right. these are all things to consider um, in terms of your business, whatever your business yeah. model might be. Mm-hmm. And I think that's important to take away for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, we will see you next time. Yeah. I'm Jesse Sage. I am the co-host of the Peep Show podcast and also on the horizon with Melrose Michaels. I'm Caitlin Bailey with the Oldest Profession podcast. I'm Melrose Michaels. I co-host on the horizon with Jesse here, and I also have a podcast called Seen and Not Heard. We're here together today to ask for submissions for our coming out as a sex worker collaboration among all three podcasts. So on December 17th holiday, the Sex Worker Day of Remembrance, we want to put out a joint episode among the three podcasts um, that share your coming out stories. Yeah, with the December 17th holiday coming up, which is, you know, all about the sex workers that we've lost in the last year, I think it's so important to bear witness to and to elevate uh, stories that remind all of us, you know, no matter where we're at in our sex worker journey or coming out to our community, whether, you know, we are or we aren't or sometimes or it went weird or hilarious or terrible, whatever is happening with our identity as stigmatized sex workers navigate in this horphobic society that we are living in on the holiday where we we talk about the folks that we've lost to violence and suicide and stigma. It's so important to remember that no matter what, we are not alone. We are never alone. Absolutely. So we are asking for either video or audio or even written submissions, if you'd like to be anonymous, about sharing your experiences and stories. And we ask that you submit them by November 15th to jesse underscore sage at protonmail.ch. That's J-E-S-S-I-E underscore S-A-G-E at protonmail.ch. This way we can include your story, whether it be visual, audio, or written, and having one of us read it um, in our December 15th episode. 
Yeah. So get us your submissions by November 15th. You know, tell us a story about, you know, coming out to someone in your community, being outed in your community, right? Letting folks in on the fact that you are part of the oldest profession. Yeah. And we want to make sure that people understand that when we say the oldest profession, we mean all forms of sex work. So we're looking for your stories of coming out as a stripper, as coming out as a cam girl, as an erotic model, as an escort, um, any sort of work that you've done in the sex industry, we want to talk about how you've negotiated that with the people in your lives. Try to keep your submissions to under five minutes. You know, we will be uh, editing and compiling and choosing some of these stories to uh, to replay and to discuss, you know, as a group. We will get that episode out through the holiday, through the December 17th holiday and into the dark days of winter. Uh well, can we can help you remember that you're you're part of a multi generational community? Yes, and if you want um, some help or some examples or some inspiration, you can go back to the joint episode that Caitlin Bailey and I did last December seventeenth. Um, that's that's currently on Peep Show podcast and the oldest profession. Absolutely. So we look forward to hearing and sharing your stories, and we hope that you'll join us. 